Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Just make sure I have my chat open. Okay, so I, as I said, I'm really excited to be able to do this talk. Um, I have wanted to revisit some of the like kitchen confidence stuff I did. I don't know if that was, I think it was like two years ago now that I did that. Um, if you haven't seen that series yet, I, I think we have it on Spotify. We went back and put that up there. Um, and it's on the Facebook page as well. But I did, I don't even know, I think it was like six Zooms, all dedicated to the stuff that I'm going to go over today, much more in depth. So I definitely recommend you give that a watch. Um, so, and of course, interaction in the chat really helps these conversations get as deep as they need to be. So don't be shy. In the chat, if you hear something you resonate with, or you have a question, whatever, definitely let me know what you're thinking and feeling. All right, so kitchen dread. Um, I first I want to ask you guys, what for you causes kitchen dread? If you could describe your kitchen dread during the week, what is that like for you? Tell me in the chat. So overwhelmed, right? Would you say you're overwhelmed with knowing what to pick, knowing what you're in the mood for? What tends to overwhelm you? Kids who won't eat or try new foods. That's amongst my clients with kids. That is the number one thing is just picky eaters and not even picky eaters, just kids being kids and like something looks a little off and they want nothing to do with it. Um, having to cook separate meals. Definitely. Food rut, but don't want complicated food prep. Speaking my language. Uh, don't know what to pick. And my daughter's saying I don't cook good. <laughs> oh. Um, so maybe I wrote in here that one of the things we're going to cover is you're not cooking for Gordon Ramsay. I guess for you, Becca, it might be like you're cooking for Gordon Ramsay a little bit. But let's see. When I don't have the proper groceries. Yep. Although... I pride myself on my chopped abilities and I love kind of when I have to do a good pantry emptying meal, I get to like, really, I feel like it's like playtime. Um, and then they loved it last week, but now they hate it. Yep. <laughs> so not picky across the board, but like temperamentally picky um, for sure. It's like, how do you build consistency on that? You know? So I'm going to try and break down, I think, the root of a lot of those things that you guys are talking about, and that is decision fatigue. So decision fatigue, when you are, and this is for people with ASD, with ADHD, neurotypical people, we all get burnt out by decision making. Um, everybody, when you wake up in the morning, and this depends on the sleep you get the night prior, but we all have a finite amount of energy, of mental capacity mental energy for that day. So if you're at work or with your home life or with whatever you got on your plate, if by 3 p.m. the decision-making part of the brain, the energy is depleted, the only way to replenish that energy again is to get deep restorative sleep again. So if we're making decisions all day long because we literally have to, whether it be for our home or for our jobs or whatever it is, when it comes down to food, it's like the most annoying decision to make. Because you don't even know what you want to eat at that point. You just want to not have to think. Who feels me on that one? It's not even about, you know, I really wish I could eat this. Or I, I hate that I have to watch out for hormones. It's really like I just, I don't even know what the hell I want to eat. I just want it to be in front of me. 
And that's where we run into issues. You know, that's where we start to, we order out a lot, which we order too, you know, but that gets so expensive and it's not even satisfying half the time, you know, and you feel like crap after because you don't even, again, decision fatigue, you're not going to dissect a menu and think about this, that, the other thing. It just doesn't make it realistic. And like I talk about all the time, we can either beat a dead horse and try to make ourselves act right, be disciplined, or we can look for these little booby traps and we can try to work around them. So see what I have on my notes here. And we don't usually get to eat what we want during the day. How If we even eat really at all, how many of you guys have we worked on eating more because it's just not alluring or the food, it's not even that there's like an alluring food in mind. It's just even more where you're, you're focused on other things, you know? So a lot of times the convenience food at night, it's comforting, not even in the food itself, just comforting in the fact that you can get it fast and not have to think about it, or you can put it on the table and the kids will shut up, you know, or whatever it is. At the end of the day, we want that like rescue, right? So Imagine if you felt confident to whip stuff up that you felt was delicious, that you didn't stress out deciding to put together. And I think a lot of that comes from breaking down the idea of a dish, of a meal. You know, like the idea of making a dish, a certain food, a certain meal or whatever, it really causes a, a narrowing down of the decisions, of the uh, options, and it makes us have to deal with decision making. Nobody wants to deal with that. And the idea of like, well, I have to create a dish. That's stressful. And that's when we shut off. So if instead, if you had default meats that you made, default sides that you made, just stuff you keep on rotation, stuff you keep, you know, every time you go to the store, it's like autopilot, throw it in the cart if you're running out, that kind of stuff. We do that with the stuff that we try to tell ourselves not to eat. And then we like, don't know why we can't stay consistent. Well, that's because if we've applied the same mindset to the foods that might not be as hormonally friendly, but are readily available, accessible and stuff, and just tweaked what those foods are, and you just did that with these things instead, that would be a lot less thought. Rather than thinking you got to be Pinterest on a weekday at the end of your workday, just ain't happening, you know? So you guys following me so far? That difference is you don't want to make a decision around mealtime. Don't. <clears throat> so what you want to think instead, like I was saying, are default components. You want default components to your meal. Stuff that, you know, like, for example, we've been on a really big kick lately with, uh, well, I love Trader Joe's because it's just like an enjoyable, if you go on off hours, if you go on, if you go on prime time, it is a sensory nightmare. But if you go on off hours, it's like really pleasant and their stuff is really cheap. A lot, well, I should say it's cheaper than stuff you find in other grocery stores because nothing's really cheap these days. Um, but we really love their bone-in pork chops because it's like $8 for two huge pork chops. And that's dinner for Nick and me, you know, um, or the <clears throat> the bone-in chicken thighs. The bo God, sorry, we brought in our plants from outside and there's like more flies it's freaking me out. You know this if you've watched my other Zooms with flies. 
around the season. But anyway, um, they're bone and chicken thighs, skin with skin, bones and everything. It's not as bad as you think. Trust me. Um, it's like $4 a package sometimes for four of the friggin' thighs. So it's just a really good deal. So when we go to Trader Joe's, you know, sure, maybe we're in the mood to throw in some other random meats that are well-priced or we're curious about, I don't know. We typically will get into a routine of making similar stuff over and over and then opt into a different set of stuff when we get sick of it. So right now we're really loving the chicken thighs and the pork chops. I'm not sitting there thinking how, what kind of a dish am I going to make with this? It's just going to be in my freezer. And then in the morning, I'm just going to pick a meat to take out. That is all I want you to focus on is take your frozen component besides veggies, because those cook fast, but like your meat or your meat substitute or whatever, take it out of the fridge in the morning. And that's all you got to think about thawing it, just have it readily available. Right. And I keep other components and I'll get into this more in my notes, but I keep the same kind of veggies around. I keep the same kind of dressings around. You can switch stuff up. If you need variety, you can switch, which again, I'm going to get into, but how you prepare it changes things, how you season it, changes things. But if the basic default, like I make this in the air fryer, I make this in the oven. If that's the same, you don't have to think about that. You don't have to make a decision about that. You just have to throw stuff together, put it in the oven or put in the air fryer, whatever. And that's it. You're thinking about just combining flavors that'll produce enough food for you to feel satisfied and that you it tastes good to you. And it, I swear, it sounds like that's really chaotic, but What's chaotic is trying to plan a menu for reality. <laughs> you know, if that's not just, if your life isn't catered to have a menu for everyday use, which I don't know a lot of us that do have that kind of life, you know? I use the air fryer all the time. Honestly, I see mutterings of like the air fryer is bad for you. You know how they say like the microwave is bad for you and stuff. And I'm just like, I ain't going to believe it yet. <laughs> like I'm just, And I think I have to know how bad because it's just such a savior. I love the air fryer. It's a textural dream, you know? So it basically, it's just an oven. But, you know, so air fried veggies. Oh my God, air fried veggies are so good. And that hits on a point that I have in here. You get that nice like brown crispness to them. And that's, that means flavor. Whenever you have caramelization or browning of something, that means that the water is evaporating and the flavor is what's left behind, that concentration of it. So big fan of air fryers. So anyway, so yeah, your first step is going to be only focus on taking a meat out of the freezer in the morning and just having it ready to be used come dinner time. So you go throughout your day. Here's how you throw stuff together. <sighs> First, you want to figure out what are the main components of the meal? What is your meat? What are your veggies that you have on hand, canned, frozen? I swear by that, especially for my neurodivergence in here. Uh, I'm notorious for letting produce go bad. So I'm a big fan of canned or frozen veggies. And they're like cheaper. So, um, <clears throat> so figure out your components. Then once you figured out your components, then you're going to figure out how... Oh, what method am I making it? Am I air frying it? Am I baking it? Is it on the pan, on the grill? Whatever it is that you decide. Toaster oven, panini press, get crazy. Pressure cooker, I could go on and on. Not so much the crock pot. You missed the boat on that one, but maybe for tomorrow. But anyway, so 
you figure out what method you're making it after you figure out your main components. Then you wanna figure out how do I dress this up? And I have, I could talk to you guys. Like I said, I have the whole kitchen confidence series that I did in the page. I could talk forever about how to season or flavor things. It is a part of my autism I'm so happy for. I treat flavor like I do color. So please feel free to text me if ever you are bored with your food, it would make my day. But for the sake of time, I'm gonna give you my favorite tips here, okay? Seasonings, sauce, or flavors. So if you're having decision fatigue, it's the end of the day, and now comes the time you do have to make a decision. You've thawed the meat already. You focused on having it ready for you. You know what your components are. You know you want to air fry it, right? So then you're thinking, what kind of flavor am I in the mood for? And if you're like, nothing, I'm not in the mood for anything, think of what flavor you're not in the mood for. If you really genuinely are at an impasse where you could care less, you just want it over with, have your default seasoning, which is what I do. And the way you, I'm trying to think how to not complicate this. I'm gonna tell you my default flavoring combo and then I'm gonna explain the concept behind it because I use it for other stuff that I swap out. So generally, and you guys will see this with my, my um, what I eat in a day that I post on the Facebook page. Generally, I do some kind of oil, if it's high temp, like I'm frying it or it's going to get baked for a while, I'll do avocado oil so it doesn't burn. If not, then I'll do um, olive oil, extra virgin, extra virgin, it matters, olive oil, says the Greek. So um, <clears throat> I use soy, gluten-free soy sauce or gluten-free tamari, whichever. I use sesame oil some kind of acidic ingredient. So it's either like lemon juice, vinegar, or hot sauce, which has vinegar in it. And that's that's my combo. Sometimes if I'm in the mood, I'll add some garlic salt to that. Um, you know, I, I always salt my food. I forgot to say that because that's just a default. Even if you have soy sauce in your stuff, still salt your food, it matters. Restaurants, the food tastes so good because there's a ton of salt in it. So trust me, um, unless you're using rock salt, it's going to be pretty hard to oversalt your stuff if you're generally pretty conservative with it. Um, so that that's my combo. Olive or avocado oil as like a, a base, sesame oil for flavor, soy sauce, um, and some kind of acidic ingredient like lemon vinegar or hot sauce. It's the same way to make a, a really good salad dressing. It's just a fat, a salt, and an acid of some kind. Okay, so... You guys have probably heard me say this for a long time, but the concept behind this, that's how you balance out flavors. So you could interchange these for whatever you want. You know, if you wanted um, at one point, I'm trying to think what you could do, an acid ingredient would be if, like in a pesto. Let's, let's use that in a pesto. The acid ingredient is the basil. If you put a little bit of lemon juice in it, right? The salt is salt. Um, the fat is the olive oil and the Parmesan cheese and the pignoli nuts. And yeah, you have really good pesto. So you can use this in different ways with different stuff that you got around, different hot sauces, different vinegars, go crazy, have fun. But the basis of it is always the same. I, I always, I eyeball it and I mix those things, three things, those, whatever it is, four things together. I promise you it comes out delicious every single time. Um, and I also like to go to like Trader Joe's. They have the ketchup seasoning, which is really good. 
Um, the umami mushroom seasoning, which I love. The ranch seasoning, which is really good. I don't like ranch dressing, but I love ranch seasoning. Don't hate me about the ranch dressing, okay? <laughs> but I get enough of it from Nick. <laughs> um, I'm definitely team blue cheese here. But anyway, that is how you get a good combo of flavor. Go as crazy as you want. Keep it as basic as you need. It's going to come out good. You don't need every meal to be uh, like some fancy overproduced thing. You know, I have my same basic veggie sides that I make my uh, like cabbage salad or I'll get the garlicky cabbage from Trader Joe's. I like the roasted chickpeas. Um, again, all of these are easy things. Trader Joe's garlicky cabbage, you throw it in the microwave. Chickpeas, I guess what I flavor my chickpeas with right before this Zoom? Soy sauce, sesame oil, olive oil, um, or uh, avocado oil, and salt. And just throw it in the oven. That's it. That's literally it. So you can do very minimal effort and have it be really good. It has to, it's just about your flavors. Now, I meant, I said before I would mention this. Don't be afraid of how do I want to say this? It's very easy to overcook meat, right? So first and foremost, there's that. And I think a lot of clients that have talked to me about why it's intimidating for them to cook is because they don't want to have the expensive and only component of their dinner that night be wasted if it's like dry as shoe leather. I get it. I've definitely dried out a piece of chicken in my time because I'm always afraid I'm going to kill everyone with chicken. So <laughs> um, my biggest tip, get a meat thermometer. Please hold. I, I thought I was going to grab it before and I forgot. So I want to show you guys my meat thermometer that I have. So I love this thing. It has all of the temperatures to remember to remind you here. So you don't have to like Google it every single time. You just stick the end in. And then it tells you, it, it just has to match this. And then it's done. It's literally done. It's cooked enough. It will not get you sick. You good. So what I'll usually do is I'll put, because I don't like dry meat, but I also don't like salmonella, I will put the timer on for like a few minutes lower than I think it might need to cook. And at that point, I start just taking it out and then checking it. And as soon as it hits the temp, then we're good. So that's my big tip, especially for the chicken thighs, because one time I underestimated, I thought I got this. It's been in there long enough. And because there's bones in there, it was still raw. And it was just not okay. So meat thermometer. Okay. Um, <clears throat> oh my God, Alexis, it's the same one you have. It's so great. I'm like, it's just all right there for you. I don't know. Because the old one I had, I had the old culinary school one where it was just like the temperature up top and you just stick it in. I'm like, who the hell remembers this? I have this calcula. So let's see. Tamari's sesame oil combo you told me about is something my picky family loves. Yes, it's so good. It's just like, first of all, when I'm going to talk about caramelization, but soy sauce caramelizes so good. Sesame oil caramelizes so good as the water evaporates off and the flavor gets really concentrated. It adds like such a depth of flavor that it's just delicious. So I love that. Yeah, I use it on pretty much everything. And sesame oil is good for hormones. So the more you know. Um, a nearly foolproof formula. I always recommend the book. 
And I recommend the, the Netflix special on this. They have the four episodes dedicated to each part of the book, but Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, I always mess the name up, by Semin Osarat to people who are intimidated by cooking. It boils down complicated cooking concepts, the bare bones of necessary flavor components, plus it illustrated, laid out really beautifully. Oh, I want to get the book now. That's because I, I love the show. I in kitchen the kitchen confidence series. I think I referenced that book so many times because that's that's what this is is salt, fat, acid, heat, and heat not meaning spices. Heat is how you prepare it, how you cook it. So that's exactly I love it. Um, yes, definitely get the book. So worth it. I really am now. It's awesome. Oh, and she's adorable. I love watching the show because I just liked watching her eat. You know, I'm like, look, she's really enjoying herself. You can tell. <laughs> so definitely highly recommend. Okay, browning it. So making sure you don't want to overcook your meat, the, the meat thermometer will help with that. But we talk a lot about bland, unseasoned food, but nobody ever talks about unbrowned food. And there is nothing worse than like a gray piece of meat with no texture on the outside, no, it just, it, it just makes you feel sad. It makes you feel like a sad carnivore. And I don't, nobody deserves to be a sad carnivore, you know? So gray meat is like the same as like no salt on something. I can't do it. Like, I, I, mm -mm. so what you want to do, brown your meat before you cook it, except if it's going to be in the oven, because then you can turn your broiler on. When you bake something, the heat source is coming from the bottom, sometimes depending on the oven, the back, especially if there's like a fan that's circulating air, but generally it's not coming from the top of the oven. When heat, you turn on the broiler, the flame comes from the top. So it literally like it brulees and broils, you know, whatever's underneath it browns it. Think of broil, think of brown. So if you're not going to pre-sear your meat, which means get your pan super hot, throw it on there, let it sizzle, let it get dark, and then turn the heat down and continue cooking. A much easier way to do that is if you're going to make throw something in the oven, cook it, like I do this with my pork chops, cook it till it's like just about done, and then turn your broiler on so it hits it from the top and it browns whatever the top is because the heat coming from the bottom and the sides doesn't get the, the meat itself or any of the stuff inside brown typically. So, um, I'm trying to think what else on if you're making something like sometimes I'll see people recommend it for crock pot recipes. And if it's like a pulled recipe or like a very soft meat kind of recipe or with a lot of sauce or a stew, I don't know that it's that important to brown it. Like, yes, it imparts flavor, but the texture is all going to turn into the same when you shred it, you know? So if you're really, you don't have to worry about it for that. But when you're cooking something to be eaten in that moment, you don't want to have no gray meat. Mm-mm. So the mallard reaction, what is that? Now I need to know. Um, what is the mallard reaction? But yeah, no, I, I can't deal with gray meat. Oh, that's the browning. That's what the browning's called. You learn something new every day. Um, I love that. But no, it really is. It's so underrated. It is if you brown like you ever try to bake a vegetable and it gets a little bit too brown and you're or not too brown, but like one area is browner than others. And that's the flavorful area. Burning rice. It, it's like, you know, no, no, don't, you know, like 
I love burned rice. Like I will, I'll scratch it off the bottom of the pan and eat it because that is flavor. Like I'm not saying char your stuff to a, a, a cinder because nobody wants to eat that, but trust me, it's going to change the game. Burn your stuff a little, just a little. It's so good. So, okay. And then lowering stress because you're not cooking for Gordon Ramsay. So <laughs> unless you, you might, depending on your kids, but lowering your stress in this regard is one of my favorite things about cooking is the fact that it's never really a lost cause. Short of like severely overcooked pasta or trying to think what else, like really, really dry, dry chicken. And even then that could be chicken salad, you know, but there's always a way to zhuzh something. There's always a way to make it taste better. If it's not texturally bad flavor, that's easy. You can, you can absolutely just change it up. If you add a sauce to it, if you add a combo of flavors, like I said before, my favorite thing is you have really dry meat, add lemon juice. I know it sounds weird. Lemon juice and salt feels fancy, but it's like, it just adds more moisture in. Is it like going to fix everything? Like I said, can you fix a batch of burnt to a crisp brownies? Yeah, you probably could. You could probably make that like a pie crust of some kind. See what I mean? Like there's something you can fix everything. A lot of times we get pissed off if it doesn't turn out the way that we had hoped or we feel really bad, like defeated. And a lot of times you just feels like a bad experience. But I cannot tell you, I don't get it 10 out of 10. There are plenty of times I've either forgotten I needed an ingredient. It wasn't there. Um, I forgot to put something in there until the end. Um, the texture is just not that great, you know, and there are ways to judge it up. Um, if I've ordered something from a restaurant even, and there's like a weird texture to it, I'll throw it in a frying pan with a little bit of soy sauce and caramelize some flavor on there. You know, like it, there are so many ways to fix it, but the biggest thing is to not like stop giving yourself one shot to get it right. Especially if you're cooking at the end of your day especially if you're cooking multiple meals for people, different, you know, different meals, just give your, cut yourself some slack. Think about what flavor, like, what does this need? How could this be a little bit better? Or how could I mask this entirely? And you'll probably be good. Uh, and I love that kind of a problem solving thing. So absolutely feel free to send that shit to me. So let's see, Mallard reaction. Ooh, I love this reaction is an organic chemical reaction in which reducing sugars react with the amino acids to form a complex mixture of compounds. This reaction is responsible for the characteristic flavor and aroma of browned food. Um, the Mallard reaction is named after the French chemist Louise Camille Mallard. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, let's see, just took a big L having to wear a mask while cooking. Didn't realize until 15 minutes into prep that the mushrooms we're going to be the main component of the meal are slimy and smell like fish. Ooh, I can help. Okay. So first thing, dry them off, dry them super, super well. Then, and you might want to stuff them in the fridge and try again tomorrow for this, maybe order or something, but dry them off. And then once you're ready to cook and get your pan, very, very, very hot throw them in there, flash, flash serum, let's say, add a little bit of butter, a little bit of soy sauce, a little garlic salt, 
Don't add too much moisture because you really want it to like get nice and brown and caramelized in the soy sauce. And then whatever remaining sliminess is, is on those mushrooms will get evaporated off because you're not adding a bunch of liquid and the flavor of the soy sauce, it'll just combine it's almost like a glaze. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else you can make with that. Then what you could do is you could add that if you have any like bagged cabbage or anything that's like crunchy that you can mix with it to offset the overwhelming flavor of just that one component. I love mixing textures. I thought that meant they were bad. If not, then I'll totally just make the soup I was going to make. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it depends if you I mean, well, first of all, how badly do they smell of fish is the question. How old are they? If you like just got them and it was just like they just seem weird and a little off to you, that could be just mushrooms being mushrooms like the underbelly of the mushrooms sometimes have that like weird texture and flavor um, and texture and aroma, I should say. Um, but if if they're not like completely rancid putrid, it's just like something you smell that's off, um, then I think you can go ahead and use them. Add some umami to your dish, <laughs> but you know, that's jilting, especially when I hate that. Like, to be honest with you, I'm saying it really cavalierly to you, but a lot of times if I smell something a little off with my food, I don't know that, like, I can't eat it. Nick will eat it. He's got like a stomach, stomach of iron, you know, but I just can't do it because it's tainted. Like I, I knew, like, it wasn't the way I thought in my head. And that's what I'm saying. Don't let that bother you. You know, if at the end of your meal, if it didn't come out the way that you wanted, try to judge it, learn for the next time, take the L like you said, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. So, okay, Q&A. I want to know after watching this whole thing, are there dishes that you would like to create that you don't want to think of as dishes? Like what's something you wish you could just whip up real quick? What's something you've made and you hate, but you wish you didn't, you know, like hit me with your questions in the chat. I can do, let's see. Ooh, we kept it to time today. Okay. So I can do a few minutes of Q and A if anyone has any questions. Send them over. Gluten-free breaded anything. Okay, so breading. For breading, I really like, I like using crushed up pork rinds for crispy stuff because you don't get like a strong like pork flavor from them or pork rind flavor from them, especially if you season it well. If you season your stuff, I hope this isn't lagging, still a little laggy on my end. Um, if you season the pork rinds really, really well, like pizza seasoning, garlic salts, stuff like that, dry seasonings, um, and you crush them up pretty fine. It makes like a great panko type of breadcrumb. I hate when I see those like, was it like keto panko or something it's called? Um, it's like comes in a little jar and it's like $13 for a little thing. All that is, is crushed up pork rinds. That's all. And you can get those for like a dollar at the bodega. You know, if you got one near you, forgot not everyone watching this is in New Jersey, but um, they're really, they should be cheap you know, and they're delicious and they add some good, you know, fat and protein and stuff like that. So for those of us who under eat, they're especially helpful. Um, then what else do I like to use? I also, something I'll do is if I 
order something crunchy that I don't like, like a snack of some kind. I've done this with Quest chips, forgot what flavor, but I ordered one that I didn't like. Um, I use those God awful wild chicken chip. No, not wild. That's the good one. Um, flock. Flock is disgusting. I'm so sorry if you like flock. I'm not that sorry. They're so, they're so bad. I bought them years later to see if they changed their formula and they're still disgusting. So I use those for breading and they were palatable, but not for like snacking. Um, I'll use, that's how I get rid of the stuff that I don't really like because it ends up making a pretty good breading. Um, I'll dunk the thing that I'm trying to bread. I'll dunk it in a mixture that's mostly egg yolk. So like if I'm doing three eggs, it'll be like three egg yolks and one of the whites or I guess one egg and two yolks, whatever, you know what I mean. Um, but having more egg yolk in it has more protein and more of a protein bond in it. That's why egg yolk set up so firm. So it ends up, I don't know, I find that it makes stuff stick to it better. And then what else? Another good one is a mixture of lupin flour and flax meal, especially for those of you guys who can't have almonds and stuff. Um, coconut flour is okay but it it just never gets crispy. It's always just a little bit mushy on its own because it basically attracts, it like absorbs and attracts any fluid that you put with it. So it ends up becoming like kind of mealy in my opinion. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it for breading, but if you can't have nuts, then I would recommend lupin flour and flax meal. Those are awesome. Um, okay. Fastest meal possible for nights when we don't get home till like 8 p.m. and don't want to grab fast food. Okay. Um, this is going to seem strange because you told me your family's picky and it's kind of like an off. It's like not a thing you'd think. But have you ever tried frozen falafel? I know it sounds crazy, but like frozen we're doing the other day I did frozen falafel, um, the roasted chickpeas and they I literally threw them in the oven. That was all. The chickpeas, put some dressing in the oven. Falafels and muffin tins, like one each so that they stayed, I don't know, that's important, but I don't like them rolling around the sheet pan. So, and I stuck them in the oven. Um, cabbage salad, really, really good. You get a bag of coleslaw mix from the from the supermarket. They stay fresh for a decent amount of time because um, cabbage has a good shelf life and throw that together trying to think what other ones we do frozen uh cream spinach a lot um the garlicky cabbage from trader joe's is just ugh, superb so the trader joe's falafel yeah i i mean you can probably get them anywhere check the label to make sure that they don't have uh, flour in them if you're gluten-free but i love the trader joe's ones i couldn't find the dill pickle ones when i went back this last time and i was really sad so I got the regular ones. I'm going to give those a try. They'll probably be good too. Um, I If you can find the dill ones at your local Trader Joe's, stock up because those are so good. Um, I'm trying to think other easy meals. If you want to make a meat kind of a dinner, then air fried chicken thighs is really easy. We use the same dressing I described to you. Sesame oil, soy sauce, avocado oil, a little bit of hot sauce. Um, and then you put it in a gallon bag, shake it, put it in the air fryer if you're in a rush. If you have some time, I'm putting up a way to uh, the the cookbook's done, by the way. So in there, I talk, I tell you how to salt brine chicken. I think that's in there. Not I'll add it, but um, there's a way to salt brine your chicken. But if you're in a rush, throw it in a bag with some with some of the dressing I told you. Air fry it. Done. 
Um, Trader Joe's frozen gluten-free mac and cheese is also really good. And I think like half of it isn't a whole lot of carbs and it's like a decent amount. Um, what are some other really easy ones that I do? The pork chops I was talking about, take them out of the fridge. You put them in a baked dish. Guess what dressing I use on those? <laughs> Same thing. Take a can, put them all, put the pork chops, dress them, whatever, all in the baking dish. Take a can of chickpeas, strain it out. Oh no, my mom called. Take a can of chickpeas, strain it out. I don't even rinse them because I like the starch from the aquafaba that they're in. Like the, the water that they're in is makes them crispier. So I just strain it out, put it in the dish with the pork chops, add a little bit more of the seasoning and bake it. I'm usually just throw it together, flavor, make it flavorful, put it in the air fryer, put it in the oven. So that's why I'm saying for you, fastest meal possible for nights when we don't get home till eight and we don't and we want to grab, don't want to grab fast food. Use this process. Think of something to take out in the morning. So this way, when you do get home at night, you have thawed meat and then you just flavor it simply, throw it in the oven, flavor it simply, throw it in the air fryer and that's it. And it's your default. Most of the time that we cook, it's far faster than if we order. Like most of the time that we order, it takes a good 45 minutes for it to get to us. And I can easily have like the whole, like at least two sides plus a protein done in that time, set out, ready to eat. So it really is just the mindset side of things. It just feels overwhelming. That's why I rely on defaults. Save the fan, you know, have some fun seasonings if you want to go a little crazy, you know, on your weekdays, but wait till things calm down for you to be like really in there experimenting. And during the week, just throw together what, you know, tastes good. So I hope that this helped. I love talking about this. I could go on and on, but I do want to try and keep these recordings a little bit more easier to absorb and digest. So I'm going to encourage you guys text me. Send me random ingredients from your fridge or your pantry. I love playing chopped. You know, ask me your questions. I went to culinary school and I paid down the debt. So please let me put that to use. Um, and I enjoy talking about good food. Gouge my eyes out if I talk to you about carbs all day, you know, so utilize that. All right. I hope this helped. Go watch Kitchen Confidence if you haven't and enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Bye.